0: Right now, we start our conversation with the DA Federal Council Chair, Helen Ziller. You're with Clement Magnatella.
1: 702.
0: Helen Ziller, good morning. Thank you so much for making time. Yes, always. It's lovely to
2: be back with you.
0: It's been a while. But I thought
2: I'd be sitting opposite you and I'm here all alone. On my <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: Seat. I'm all alone here as well in Johannesburg. <laughs> but I'm going to see you in a moment because I'm going to bring in a laptop where you and I can see each other in, oh, in real cool. time. That's yeah, That's going to cool. be cool.
2: They've so- made me a great cup of coffee here in your Cape Town studio.
0: Oh, they're amazing with their cups of coffees there. We need to bring, yeah, the, the guys who make coffee, they need to come to Johannesburg. <laughs> Every time I'm <laughs> in Cape so. Town, that's one of the things I enjoy when I work from that office. So I want us to start off, um, Helen, with what happened yesterday. As the DA, you've won the Cater deployment legal battle against the ANC at the Constitutional Court. The ANC is now compelled to make public its complete Kader deployment records dating back to 2013, I understand, when President Cyril Ramaphosa became chairman of that deployment committee what are you hoping these documents will reveal
2: well we are hoping they'll reveal the truth about Kader deployment and unmask the lies that the anc has been telling for many years we are hoping to get to the heart of the cancer of Kader deployment which lies at the root of state capture and the destructions like escom like South african airways And even most shockingly, the attempt to capture the judiciary with ANC deployees. Now, there's been a lot of indication that that kind of thing has been going on, but we don't know the inside discussions and decisions and possibly instructions that were issued by the ANC to appoint certain ANC loyalists mm. to key positions throughout the state in order to capture those institutions for the ANC. And so in any democracy, institutions of state are there to protect people from the abuse of power by political parties. Mm. But the ANC has inverted that. It has used its power to deploy its loyalists, its cadres, to key positions in the state – In institutions that should be independent And use them to advance the party's interests And to defend the party against the people And that Mm. is the scandal at the heart of CADA deployment And that is the root of state capture So what we're hoping to get out of those minutes And WhatsApp chats and everything That the court has insisted the ANC now release What we're hoping to get is the truth Mm. We hope the truth is not as bad as we think it may be, but if the full truth is revealed and the court order now says it must be revealed, the full truth will tell us just how the ANC has subverted our democracy and undermined its very intention and hollowed out the Constitution. And so Cyril Ramaphosa won't be able to say, I didn't know and I'm shocked he will have to acknowledge that he was the chair of this committee,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: he presided over those discussions.
0: So how big a victory um, do you think this is? Because when I was looking at, at the, you know, at what the Constitutional Court said and what the ANC is expected to do, I thought we are all at the mercy of the ANC here. The organisation has control over what it can share. You know, if these records exist at all. And I don't know if the ANC is going to share information that's, quote-unquote, incriminating, for lack of a better word, because you don't have specific records you know for sure as the DA that they exist. So the point I'm making is, is the judgment then not futile in that the ANC may not share anything that pins them down?
2: Well, the first thing that we need to understand is that this is a victory for South Africa. South Africa must just understand how critically important it is that some of our institutions of democracy still work, that there is still largely a free media, that the courts, the constitutional court, the Supreme Court of Appeal particularly, still take completely independent decisions on the basis of the law and using the constitution as a yardstick. We do not know, What an incredible advantage that is and beacon of light for the future of South Africa. And the reason that this outcome of this case is such a victory for South Africa is that we see our institutions working. The official opposition did its job. Leon Schreiber, who was driving this issue for us, asked all the right questions. When it emerged that the ANC's CADA Deployment Committee even discussed deploying Judges to the bench Which you couldn't do more Egregious a thing in a democracy You couldn't do anything more to undermine The independence of the judiciary Than the political party in power Deploying its cadres to the bench When that emerged Mm -hmm. That is when Leon Schreiber moved in and said We want Under the Access to Information Act Which is another pillar of our democracy Under that act He said we want all of these records The ANC said no. So then we turned to the other huge pillar of our democracy, the courts, and we went to subpoena the information that the ANC was refusing to give us. Mm -hmm. And the courts ruled in our favor. Now, this is not a party political issue. It's a massive test for the institutions of our democracy. And if the ANC refuses to hand them over or hands things over partially – it must understand that it will then be in contempt of court as well. But we well.
0: won't be able to prove that they're in contempt of court. because we don't How do you know, know Clement? We don't A lot you know of people that- have those mm-hmm.
2: records. A lot of people inside the ANC have those records. And they're all fighting with each other now. They don't know what we know. And they know what each other know. And believe me, when there are minutes out there, and people have those minutes, mm. you better know that you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. If the ANC is in contempt of court, they will go to jail. The president will go to jail. Because the precedent set in the Jacob Zuma case for being in contempt of court was that he had to go to jail. So then it's jail time.
0: Is the because I want to ask a more broader question now, around around the, the deployment um, not necessarily the deployment committee, but the deployment uh, policy within the organization? Because what people have been asking is, you know, whether or not this deployment of cadres to strategic positions is actually unique to the ANC. I mean, as the DA, will you not discuss who is best to appoint in specific strategic positions in government to advance your policy? You know, so you could appoint... Like, would you appoint someone, for instance, who is an ANC member or supporter to, let's say, to be an ESCOM CEO because their skills and their allegiance to the ANC won't be a problem? Clement,
2: the DA as a party has absolutely nothing to do with the appointment of senior officials and public servants in DA governments. Absolutely nothing. That is unlawful and we should not have anything to do with it. So we have been very strict on that. The important thing to understand is that there are political offices. So, for example, a cabinet minister will have a limited number of staff that he or she can appoint in their office. And those are political appointments all over the world in democracies. That is what happens. But the public service is supposed to be professional and independent. And if you allow the rot of KESA deployment to enter the public service, then you have captured the state. It is as simple as that. The state is different from the ruling party and different from the government. The state has to be a professional body of public servants who accept the outcome of the election and then implement the policy of the party that won the election irrespective of their own personal views. And if you want a state to function and function well, You have to appoint Mm -hmm. the best professionals. The entire idea of a developmental state comes from Japan. And in Japan, the point of departure of the developmental state was to employ the very, very best people they could into public office in the civil service so they could develop and deliver a capable state fulfilling all their functions to make Japan attractive for investment, growth and jobs and that is why after being flattened in the Second World War Japan was able to emerge so strongly from the ashes it's because they appointed the very best people into the public service and that is what they call the developmental state not the catered deployed state that the ANC likes to call the developmental state
0: mm-hmm. so you're launching your manifesto as the DA this weekend ahead of election yes what is your projection for your electoral outcome. I saw the Ipsos poll placing your support as the DA at just over 18%. What is your internal polling telling you?
2: Well, the Ipsos poll was a bit of a joke. It was a bit of an amateur hour thing. We always know that. The Ipsos poll, and it's interesting to me that journalists don't go back and look at all the Ipsos polls done before an election. If you just went back, election after election... And compared the Ipsos polling with the actual outcome of the election. You will see how fundamentally they differed. And it's important for journalists to actually do a bit of homework and do a bit of historical digging. If the DA had been so wrong election after election, believe me, the media would have said something about it. But Ipsos can be wrong election after election after election. And they just quoted the next time as well. Now, Ipsos is a very good and reputable polling company, but they're not good at polling on politics because they don't know how to allocate the doubtfuls and they don't know how to look at turnout modeling. And if you don't know how to do those two things, you're going to end up with a very confused result. So what are your internal polls? Well, we don't speak about our internal polls publicly, but let's say that we know that the Ipsos poll is
0: off the mark. What do you think makes the DA appealing to South Africans? So, so for those who decide, I want to vote for the DA, what do you think draws them? And, and to add to that question, do you think John Steenhazen is a kind of leader that draws that support and is relatable to your electorate?
2: Right, well, let me deal with those issues one by one. Number one, anybody who understands why good government and a capable state is make or break for their future will vote for the DA. This is not about individual identity or cultural affiliation or any of that. It is about people who have the insight to realize that without a capable state and the rule of law, and a market economy, and non-racialism, South Africa cannot succeed. Anybody who wants a better future for their children, who want increasing prosperity, and who understands how crucially important it is to have a capable state, and good government, and a corruption-free government, will vote for the DA. And those are the people who are attracted to the D.A. of all races. John Stienhaisen took over at the most difficult time in the D.A., a very, very difficult time. We've had several difficult times in our history. 1994 was a very difficult election for us. 2001, when the party split apart, was very, very difficult. 2019, when we had to have a course correction after we went backwards so badly in that election, we've been through very difficult times before. And one thing about the DA, when we go through difficult times, as all political parties do, we know how to go back to first principles. We know how to regroup. We now know how to start with our core principles and build from there. And that is what John Steenhuisen has done. He took over the party at a really low point. He regrouped us. He took us back to first principles, and he's been building from there When he took over the party, this party was polling at sixteen percent and we're polling a lot higher now and I think that
0: that answers your question. Thank you for responding to to that Helen. Um, I was looking at his um, favorability ratings as well, according to the popularity leader survey that was conducted by the Social Research Foundation. His rating was I think if I remember well at eighteen uh, percent. but as you say, as the party you do your own, you know, polling and, and you see where the leaders are. Do you think do you think John Steenhazen is ready and can be president of this country?
2: John Steenhazen has extraordinarily astute political instincts. He's a very good analyst. And he's able to rally us to move in the right direction and the question is when people vote they look at a package
1: Mm. the
2: DA's brand is good governance the DA's brand is good governance and we all are absolutely committed to that and for every South African who has the insight to understand how crucial good clean governance actually is and how we cannot build a future unless it's a non-racial future, for those South Africans, they will rally with the DA. We're the only non-racial party in South Africa that can have any chance of winning an election.
0: So if you're so confident as the Democratic Alliance of John Hazen, will he be considered uh, to be a candidate for president for for the multi-party charter? Well, you must
2: ask the multi-party charter that. I'm not the multi-party charter. And the multi-party charter has its own internal decision-making processes and structures. So the multi-party charter has to determine whether it's going to have a presidential candidate at all. I don't think it will. I think the multi-party charter, all the parties within it, will put forward their own leaders. And then after the election, if we can put governments together anywhere, we will do so. But for the election, they will put forward their own candidates, as I understand it, at this stage.
0: Will John Stenhazen face a review of his leadership if, let's say, the DA's electoral support declines this year, like we saw You'll with Mr.
2: You keep on hammering this point about uh, the leadership of the DA. I mean, you know, the leadership of the DA is far more competent, far more clean, far more focused, and has built the party far more than the leadership of any other party. But I realize you're now talking about the DA, so I will answer your question. The DA is the one party that has regular congresses. We had one in April last year, as you will recall, and there there was a contestation and there... John Stienhaisen won overwhelmingly. We will have another Congress in 2006, and there the leadership will be up for election again. The DA calls its leaders to account all of the time. We have strong internal democratic systems and structures. We have very tough debates on all sorts of things inside of the party. We democratically agree on a position and then we go out and defend that position. And if you fundamentally believe you can't defend a position that has been taken democratically and through internal debate, then you must do the honourable thing and resign.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm asking about John Hazen not because I'm hammering on it. I'm trying to understand if we're going to see some level of consistency. Because I remember with Moisi Maamani, he faced a review. There was a report compiled by a panel chaired by the former DA chief strategist, Ryan Kotsir, um, it largely blamed the DA's poor performance in 2019 on Maimani, where the party lost some of its support to the Freedom Front Plus, And they felt that was based, part of it was the failure of effective leadership on the part of, of Musi Maimani. So what I'm interested to find out is, would John Steinheisen, so if the DA declines in its electoral support in these election, would he also face a review of his leadership?
2: There's absolutely no doubt that we in the leadership of the DA face a review all the time. I, for example, have to be elected into my position. And if the DA doesn't like the way I am doing my job, they will review my position. We're an internally democratic institution. And that happens all of the time. You must remember that Musi Maimani appointed Ryan Kutzeer to lead that internal review. That was Musi's internal review. And the truth is that we didn't only lose votes to the Freedom Front Plus. We lost votes in every voter constituency. And you know why? Because we abandoned our core philosophy of non-racialism. And when you do that, the voters who want to vote for non-racialism don't like it.
0: Okay. I'm going to try ask it in a different way, Helen, because I'm not sure that I'm getting the answer. Are you suggesting to me... You're not that getting
2: the answer you may want, but you're getting my answer.
0: Yeah, I want to understand your answer, not the answer I okay, want. Good. Is your oh, answer okay. that, John Stienhaisen, if the DA declines in its electoral support, will face a review?
2: My answer has been yes. We face a review all the time. So
0: yes, he will face a review.
2: We all face a review all the time in the DA. Every single federal council is an effective leadership review. Because the leader puts the arguments to the council and the council can accept or reject them. We've got one coming up on the 4th of March.
0: So why was Musi Maimani the 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 only one that faced this particular review that was led by Ryan Kotsia?
2: Because he appointed Ryan Kotsia. With the support of the party. But Musi Maimani suggested the review. He proposed the review. He asked the party to support the review. And the party agreed with him. Musi set up that review. It was
0: his own review. You, you spoke about the DA calling leaders to account um, all the time. I, I just wanted to get some clarity because I've got a question here. Abel, do you have this WhatsApp of a listener who wanted some clarity around um, what happened to many defrators, uh, The DA recently fired... Um, one of its senior MPs in many defrators, My understanding is that there was, this was over fraud, that he had confessed to this fraud to the party's legal federal commission because he kept open the constituency bank accounts when he wasn't allowed to. What did he use that money for? Because the Sunday Times was reporting that he used it to fund John Steinheisen's internal campaign, and I know John has since come up to say that's not necessarily true.
2: I don't know what many defrators used that account for, and it's precisely that we don't know that it is an aggravating circumstances for many. Mm. The, the law says that every political party is only allowed one bank account. And the DA is serious about the law and we take the rule of law very seriously. So we have a course. We're the only party that has set up an internal course for anybody who raises funds in the DA. And you have to pass that course before being accredited to raise funds. And part of that course takes you through the political party funding act and what it says and what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. So Manny de had been on that course. He knew he was not allowed to have a private and separate bank account. He'd kept that bank account open. It was an old bank account from the past, from before the party political funding act. And he used it to raise funds. He could not account for the way those funds had been spent. Firstly, he denied that he had that account. Mm. And we investigated until we established that he did have that account. And then he could not account for the way the money had been spent from that account. And it was for all of those reasons, cumulatively, that he was expelled from the party. The bottom line is he could produce some slips of the way that the money had been spent, but certainly not all of the slips. And certainly there was a very significant amount of money a couple of hundred thousand rand that he could not adequately account for. And that is a
0: hanging offence in the DA when right. you don't account for your money. Okay. Um, I've got a few more questions around that, uh, but I'll do that after the latest in Eyewitness News. Head. 702, the Clement Mania Taylor Show. Let's walk the talk. 25 minutes before 11 o'clock, we're in conversation with Helen Ziller, who is the DA Federal a uh, council chairperson, uh, she's live in our Cape Talk studios. Helen, before we went to news, we were talking about many defraitors. You were speaking about what he had done wrong and what led to the DA uh, deciding to terminate his membership. So, as the Democratic Alliance, did you ever communicate what many defraitors did? Or did you keep quiet about it? All
2: of our internal disciplinary systems are internal people keep quiet about them until somebody leaks them. And if people leak them as they often do, or if people go out and speak for themselves, which they're entitled to do, then we keep our disciplinary matters internal. So for example, Tsepom Llongo has been accusing us of keeping the mani defratus issue in house. Of course we don't go and blare out when we do internal disciplinary hearings. But we didn't do that for Tsepo either. Tsepo did it to himself. He lost his membership for electoral fraud. What he did was manufacture, or he was part of a group that helped to manufacture canvassing statistics for his constituency. And that's also a hanging offence. Any kind of fraud is a hanging offence in the DA. We didn't say anything about that. He went out and spoke about it. So we don't go out and speak about our internal disciplinaries. The people who have been disciplined themselves sometimes do because they want to posture and go to other parties and claim they're the victim of whatever when actually the only thing that they had to face was the rule of law and the DA's internal disciplinary systems. But people go out and either announce it themselves or they leak it or they announce it to undermine somebody they don't like. And that is basically the only time that these things get into the media.
0: Do you at least send it to members of of the Democratic Alliance? I mean, this is someone who's admitted to committing financial misconduct. He pleaded guilty to violating the DA's federal finance policy. So even in the action, the sanction that the DA has taken, that's the highest possible sanction, I would imagine, for any violation of the DA constitution when you have to terminate his membership. Yes, indeed. And let me simply tell you how
2: the process works in the DA. A complaint against someone often containing an allegation is sent to my office. I take it to the Federal Complaints Tagging Committee, which has lawyers on it, myself and another person. We go through the initial complaint and we say, is there any need to investigate this complaint? Is it a frivolous complaint or is it serious? If we consider that it may be serious, it goes for an initial investigation to our Federal Legal Commission. The Federal Legal Commission sets up a panel to do an initial investigation. The result of that investigation comes back to our Federal Executive and to our Federal Council, which is a much bigger body, and the Federal Executive considers the report. And in this case, with Manny and CEPO. It came back to say the investigation report has indicated that there is a case to answer and there should be a formal disciplinary charge. We then institute a formal disciplinary charge and another panel of the Federal Legal Commission is set up that does an independent investigation. They have a finding or they do a plea and penalty agreement and they propose a sanction. That sanction comes back to the federal executive that considers the report and either confirms or adjusts the sanction. That's how our system works. It is internal. It is democratic. It is independent. It is immune from political interference. It works on the basis of our rules and our constitution. And hopefully it works internally much like the justice system works in South Africa.
0: What about the, the, another DA member of Parliament, Lennis Breitenbach? Was there ever action taken against her or any internal conversation after she suggested in Parliament that Advocate Kaleka, Kaleka slept away to the top? Because that comment was demeaning. It was tasteless for Advocate Koleka.
2: Well, you know, no one has the right not to be offended in South Africa. There's nothing in the Constitution or in the law that says you have a right not to be
0: offended. Okay, what are you saying, Helen? Are you saying what Glynis Breitenbach did? There's nothing wrong with what she did, suggesting that another woman has actually slept her way to the top?
2: Well, I don't know what the facts of the matter are, but, I mean, I don't go out and say you can never say anything demeaning about another woman. I don't think that women are, are pansies who can't stand up and defend themselves. I don't go with that kind of argument. Maybe I would or would not have used the words that Glennis used, but she's her own person. She had the protection of parliamentary privilege, and she made that statement. And Galeka Goleko was offended, and she's welcome to be offended.
0: And when but you no have offended right. someone, what are you supposed to do as a leader? Do you just. You're
2: supposed, you're supposed to judge it in the context and say, I either stand by what I said, or I should not have said what I said. And that is the choice of the people who said that.
0: But as the DA, when you listen when you listen to what Glennis Breitenbach said, as a DA leader, are you comfortable with someone who says and suggests that another woman who's very much qualified to be in a position that they're in and you could disagree with them, you can criticize them where they have failed? Are you comfortable with another woman calling Advocate Kaleka and suggesting that she slept away to the top when she doesn't even have any evidence to that effect? She makes a frivolous statement in Parliament and what? To come out and say, well, I'm protected by parliamentary privilege and everybody else has a right to be offended? You are comfortable with that as a leader?
2: Well, first of all, you say it was a frivolous allegation without a basis in the fact. I've had a discussion with Glennis afterwards and you are not acquainted with the facts that Glennis says she's acquainted with. So it's wrong for you to make a judgment that it is a frivolous statement without any basis in fact.
0: Well, she didn't give us any basis. She's wrong for going on parliament and saying an accusation without providing the onus is on her. When you're going to make a claim like that against someone, you don't go and sit with Helen Zilla in some secret meeting and say, I've got evidence, because you didn't make that statement in a secret meeting with Helen Zilla. You made it in parliament where majority of South Africans were watching. You owe it to them and to the person you are accusing, to at the very least give us that evidence. And she didn't do that.
2: You made a statement now, a categorical statement, that it was frivolous and without foundation. What basis do you have? Because she didn't
0: statement? give me any basis. It was frivolous. Until she brings evidence, I'm going to say, hold up everybody. Glennis Bretenberg was right. In this case, she made a frivolous, baseless, demeaning statement against another woman without giving us proof.
2: Glynis Breitenbach did not make that statement in a court of law. This is not a place where you are subject to cross-examination and having to bring provable facts. This is Parliament. This is the tough cut and thrust of debate. Glynis Breitenbach was very right on Busi C.O.M. Kwebani when she said she was a spy and she should not have been the public protector. Glynis Breitenbach opposed on behalf of the Democratic Alliance, the appointment of the new public protector. And it's cut and thrust and tough debate. It's a very tough space. And you've got to be strong enough to take it.
0: And parliamentary privileges do not excuse just terrible behavior by members of parliament. Let me let me ask it this way. Do you disagree with your own chief whip in parliament who feels that what Lenis Breitenberg has done is actually wrong? I spoke to Sviwe Kwahube. In Cape Town mm-hmm. last week, and this is what she said. As the chief whip of the Democratic Alliance in Parliament, did you ever sit down with Lennis Breitenberg after the comments she made about the public protector, um, advocate, Galeca, that he, she suggested she slept her way to the top? Did you have a mm-hmm. conversation with her about it? A lot of people, including Koleka, she told me she was offended by those comments.
1: Mm, mm. Look, I mean, Clement, that that, in my view, was a completely unfortunate turn of, of, of phrase and 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 uh, comments. I certainly would never um condone any kind of uh suggesting that women don't belong in certain spaces and that the only way that uh, is, uh, the, that that kind of um those accolades are attained is by sleeping their way to the top i think it does very little to uh advance the cause of women particularly in the in spaces of work um and so i think that there's a lot that we can say about what um has happened with the, the Office of the Public Protector mm-hmm. over the past uh, 10 years, and I think that there is a lot that uh, Advocate Breitenbach brings uh, to the caucus in terms of institutional knowledge in that space, and uh, I look forward to her holding the Public Protector accountable in the next
0: term. So, so she told me that she looks forward to holding um, well, to Glennis Breitenbach holding Advocate Kaleka accountable in the next term, but she says she cannot condone the comments that Lennis Breitenberg made, she says those do not, in fact, advance the cause for women. We must not be in a race to the bottom. It doesn't mean that Lennis Breitenberg can be robust, but she also can be in the race to to the bottom. Do you then have disagreements with the ANC chief whip in parliament, or do you get where she's coming from in that She's got to be held accountable. Are you
2: quoting the DA Chief Whip or the ANC
0: Chief Whip? I'm quoting the DA Chief Whip, Siviwe Guachube.
2: Okay. Okay, well, Siviwe Guachube is the Chief Whip and she holds MPs to account. And it's her job, not my job, to hold MPs to account. And if that's her view and she's doing her job, I back her entirely. The point is, I am the Chair of the Federal Council of the DA. And so my job to call MPs to account. But what I can tell you is that I'm not the kind of person who sides with a woman irrespective or who believes that no woman can be challenged. I see everybody as an individual that can be taken on and that doesn't have a right to be offended. None of us have a right to be offended and we can all be very, very tough to each other. I don't hear you, for example, asking, why it's, isn't it outrageous to charge somebody with being a racist when there's no evidence? In South Africa, people accuse people of being racist the whole time without any evidence whatsoever. And they are
0: charged without evidence.
2: Well, of course, because I mean, but you've never who
0: who has been charged for racism without evidence?
2: How many times have people been accused of being racist without any evidence that they are racist? They tell an uncomfortable truth, and then suddenly they are racist. It is the cheapest and most Demeaning and most devastating. But those are accused,
0: they're not charged. So if anybody is charged for racism, there's got to be evidence.
2: Well, exactly. And Khaleka so, Koleka is not being charged either.
0: Okay, but you She's said accused. with. So you said with Glenis Brettenbach. You told me earlier that Glennis Brettenbach actually has evidence. Will she be relieving, reve- revealing that evidence that she has well, against
2: Khaleka? I think that would be even more demeaning now, wouldn't it?
0: Oh, no, it won't be, actually. It says to South Africans that I'm not just making a statement because I'm excited in the moment in Parliament and I'm protected by parliamentary privilege, but I actually have something to back up the statement that I have made that has offended Galeka and many other women out there. Firstly, Parliament
2: is the one place that you can make an unsubstantiated statement. And we have to protect people's rights in Parliament to make unsubstantiated statements. There's a very good reason for that right existing in Parliament. If Glynis had said that outside Parliament, the public protector could have sued her, and then Glynis could have brought her evidence to court. But Glynis may make, in terms of all the parliamentary rules, whether you think it was a distasteful comment or not, she may make that kind of statement in Parliament. And no one can take any action against her because parliamentary privilege exists for a reason. It enables people to put things on the table that they want to have put on the table without necessarily um, having to
0: bring all okay. the evidence. I'm not convinced by that argument, Helen, because I do think leaders still have a responsibility the fact that you are protected by parliamentary privilege doesn't mean you must go and lie in Parliament or go make statements that are unsubstantiated.
2: You must you still never have a lie Responsibility.
0: Yeah, You still have a responsibility as a leader to make statements that are not demeaning to people for the sake of demeaning them and attacking them. There must be statements that advance your course and your responsibilities. Otherwise, then we're going to have members of Parliament lying so low... Because all they're excited about is I can say whatever I want to say because I'm protected when I make these statements within these walls. You are
2: presuming that Glennis was lying in Parliament. That's a big presumption.
0: Well, no, she hasn't given us any evidence. She's given it to you in a secret meeting.
2: Why does she have to?
0: She, well, why did she tell us that as members of the public?
2: Because she was in Parliament. She wasn't in a court of law. If you go through all the parliamentary debates, you will see that many parliamentarians okay. put things out there that they want out there without having to be cross-examined the way you are cross-examining me. But why don't you ask Linus to come on I've your show? I've tried many ask times. She questions.
0: doesn't want to. That's why I went to head, head Chief Whip in Parliament who then told me, that's unacceptable what she's done. And I wanted to hear from you as the DA federal executive chairperson, as the leader, what your thoughts are on something that happens like that in parliament. But we'll, we'll agree to you, disagree I'll, there.
2: I'll tell you what my me, thoughts are. Well, Women, like everybody else, must be able to take a pummeling in the public okay. domain. We all do. And we all don't need to be precious about it. And we all must understand how often you are wrongfully accused of
0: things. Okay.
2: And very few people have been wrongfully accused of things as often in South Africa as I have.
0: Okay. All right. Tammy, you're calling us from Pretoria. Good morning. Good morning, Clay, man. So, I must tell you, you we're into a lot of trouble, we're watching the news exit from the place. Oh, (laughs) Tammy, the line, man, the line. Uh, Just quickly. The the line is, yeah, it's. Okay, listen, the line is not bad, man. I'm sorry. I'm going to put you back to the producers so they can try to reestablish it. John in Midrand, good morning. Clement, good morning. Oh,
1: my God. Final mind is very, very bad. Can you hear me okay?
0: Oh, God. What's going on? Just get to it's your point. Electricity. Just ask the question quickly, John. Maybe we'll hear it. Okay.
1: Look, it's a proper political question. Um, I'm looking at the MK now, and they seem to be gaining a lot of traction in Uh, mm KZN. I know that uh, the DA have been speaking to the IFP. Uh, MK could possibly get uh, quite a nice block. So my question to Helen would be, firstly, are you talking to the MK? Uh, And if you are, would the uh, DA and the coalition uh, consider...
0: Having the MMA in, in the multi-party the- party charter. Got it. John, thank you. Tammy in Pretoria, what's your question? I just want to understand from Helen Zilla the issue around the deployment of of, of people into 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 government. That should the DA win, for example, uh, the, the national elections, would they deploy into the Ministry of Labour, for example, somebody that did not agree with the BEE uh, uh, mm. approach of the DA? Would they do that? My understanding is that you deploy people into positions, people that will take up the policy of the of the political party and and further that. Out. Okay, Tammy got it. Helen.
2: Right, first of all, MK. MK's position has been very clear. They will go into a coalition with the EFF. And what they're aiming for in KwaZulu-Natal is a coalition between MK, the EFF, and the ANC so that they can re-engineer a reverse takeover of the ANC in KwaZulu-Natal. And that's obviously not where the DA is going to be. We are looking very much to be in coalition with the IFP in KwaZulu-Natal and bringing good government clean government accountable government to KwaZulu-Natal and everybody knows Jacob Zuma's track record in government and we are certainly not going to be responsible for putting him back into government. Okay. That's the answer to the first question. Mm -hmm. Otherwise we'll just have another episode of state capture and any corruption that we've seen in KwaZulu-Natal which is plentiful will just go from bad to worse. Then if we take a look at the deployment, look, if we were to win the election, Tommy, and it's an important point, our minister would be a DA minister with a DA's approach to empowerment. The DA's got a very good policy on non-racial empowerment of the very weakest and the most marginalized, which is very different from the ANC's elite cater enrichment policy. Ours will genuinely empower poor people in terms of the sustainable development goals. However, we would then appoint a highly competent, skilled head of department, and then the head of department after that would be responsible for appointing the rest of the officials in the organization, mm. and that will be done independently of the party on the basis of professional skills. Yeah. This whole notion of cadre deployment is so deeply embedded in the ANC that they can't imagine running a government without it, and it's because... There's no understanding of how important the separation between the party and the state is Mm. for a functional democracy. Mm.
0: Are you concerned at all about the potential impact of your approach as the DA to the war um, in the Middle East um, on your electoral outcome? Or maybe let me ask you this way. What is the DA's position on the war in Gaza?
2: Well, we've got one spokesperson on the war in Gaza, and that is Emma Powell. She is our Shadow Minister of International Relations. She's made numerous statements in Parliament and has been involved in several debates in Parliament, and that is the DA's position.
0: Yeah, and I saw that part of the statements she's made is that the DA supports a two-state solution,
2: right? We always have, yes,
0: we always have. But the Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, has rejected calls for for the two-state solution. So you support as the DA a viable two-state solution based on the United Nations Security Council resolution. So does the Israeli allies like the US and the European Union. But Netanyahu doesn't support that. So how do you as a party then justify supporting a state that continues to deny the Palestinians' right to self-determination and statehood?
2: Clement, you will have seen Emma's statement harshly criticising Benjamin Netanyahu for that statement. We absolutely support a two-state solution, and we were harshly critical of Netanyahu for that statement that he made and other statements that were made by certain members of the Israeli cabinet.
0: But where does that place your position then on the wall? Can because I the, send you all because of the you statements support, that You Emma support Emma a made. two-state solution, yes. but the Israeli state says... No, that's not what we want. They still continue to refuse the Palestinian people the right to exist, the right to self-determination. What does that tell you about Israel as the organization? What approach then do you have on this state? Benjamin Netanyahu
2: is not the state. In a democracy, you have one person who was the head of a political party that got into a government through a coalition that makes that statement. We are harshly critical of that statement. And there are many people in Israel who don't agree with that statement. But if you want to look at this, and I'm not going to be drawn into this discussion, Hamas's own constitution says they are going to obliterate the Israeli state. So it doesn't have help to have two irrational actors trying to obliterate each other, This is a debate between rationality and extreme extremism. That's only going to result in horrific, ongoing bloodshed. That is why we are saying a two-state solution is is the answer. Israel must recognise that. The Palestinians must recognise that, and we must work towards a two-state solution based on the UN resolution. That is the DA's position and we condemn anybody in the israeli government or in hamas or in any other party that seeks to obliterate one side or the other
0: will we say john Stenhazen visiting gaza at some point he went to ukraine there to assess the situation on the ground maybe gaza and even israel can we expect him to do that soon i think you should ask john (laughs) please tell him to come to the show because he doesn't come to my show anymore Because all these questions I ask you, Helen, about Glennis, about John, I would love to ask them those. Yes, but but you see, you don't accept
2: anybody's answer. I do. You just carry on battering them until you get the answer you want. I want to
0: understand your answer. Uh, My job is not here to help, to let you go on and give a monologue even when I don't understand it. My job is I need to understand where you're coming from so I can give you another question if I don't understand. It's not that I want you to agree with me. Not at all. You're smarter
2: than that. When I answer you, it's clear as a bell.
0: Oh, no, it wasn't to me. Um, And maybe (laughs) I am a little slow. But Helen, thank you so much for making time. I always appreciate you making time to chat to me.
2: It's always a pleasure. I love chatting to you, and I love a tough interview. Believe me, I used to give them when I was a journalist, and I love getting them, and I love rolling up my sleeves and putting on boxing gloves.
0: (laughs) Thank you for making time. It's 11 o'clock. Always a pleasure. Cheers.